Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean O-Line Media and Sunseeker TV, in association with Carl Anthony Payne Entertainment, present Black Arm of the Law. And we are black. Black like I never left. Black again. Black as ever. Black as always. Welcome to another episode of the Black Arm of the Law. It is your host, the one and only Carl M. F. and Payne, in the place to be as it is plain to see. But man, it's been a crazy week. Uh, you know, there's a lot going on out there in the world, but we are still in it. We are still in the world, but not of the world. Today's guest comes from us by, I think she comes from the same same place I do. You know, I think she comes from the, the great state of the Big Apple. But we'll find out shortly. Her resume is about four pages long. She's a bad one. She's a bad one. And I don't, not bad meaning bad, but bad meaning good. You dig? So let's get right into it. Today's guest, please welcome Miss Kim Bryson. Hi, guys. How are you? Now, is that is it Kim or Kimberly? Oh, no. My parents only pay for the three letters, Carl. It's just plain old Kim. K-I-M. Perfect. Kim, how you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm awesome. Awesome. Blessed and highly flavored is what they said. I mean, favored. You know what I mean. Yes. <laughs> so uh, where are you from? Where are you from? Tell us. I am born and raised in South Jamaica, Queens. Uh, I was, yes, that's where I'm from. I currently live on Long Island, but that's where I was raised. Nice, nice, nice. Well, as I said, from the Big Apple, I was correct. Yep. I was correct. And, you know, it's interesting. I always vibe differently with people from New York. And it's only because I think we have a different um, kinship. We have a different kind of understanding based on similar journeys. You know what I'm saying? Similar, uh, uh, you know, situations being in, you know, and, and, and similar eras. So this ought to be good. This ought to be good. <laughs> Queens. She's a Queens girl, y'all. Um, all right. Where'd you go to school? So I went to high school at Far Rockaway High School. Uh, I don't think it's uh, open anymore, but yes, that's where I graduated from Far Rockaway High School. Nice, nice. All right. See, Queen, See, the thing about Queens, what a lot of people don't understand is Queens, there was some, you know, they had some areas in Queens, but for the most part, it was like they, they, they either lived in like a house or a row house or something like that. You know, they mm-hmm. had they had a little bit more of uh, the kind of the kind of living that we would see on TV, so to speak, so to speak, unlike growing up in the projects in Harlem. (laughs) Totally different. Totally different. But much love, much love to Queens. So both parents in the home growing up? No, I had a single mom. Uh, I was raised by my mom, uh, close to my family. My grandparents probably saw them every day. Uh, But no, I was a single parent home. Siblings? No, I'm an only child of my mother, and I grew up very close with my all male cousins. I grew up very close with uh, male cousins. Did you, I mean, I, you know, some people be like, man, I'm glad I grew up a single, you know, but did you ever want like a brother or a sister or? Honestly, my cousins were like my brothers. We went to the same schools. I probably saw them almost every day of my life. So honestly, my cousins were like my brothers. We went to the same schools. I probably saw them almost every day of my life. So it was a little different. You know, I was like, the you know, the tomboy 
keeping up with my uh, boy cousins. Okay, so so at least you had that, and it wasn't oh, it wasn't yes. totally icy. They look out for you, or you had to look out for them. Well, so we varied in age. Uh, I was probably right in the middle. Being the only girl, you know, you uh, I was kind of right in the middle. So I had a younger cousin that I took care of, and then I had two older cousins that always looked out. So what made you uh, what made you want to uh, go into law enforcement? So it's a very uh, kind of a strange story. I honestly got involved to take the test for the New York State Police because a recruiter came to my college. I went to SUNY Cortland in upstate New York, and it was a career fair, and he came in, and he got me because he said, oh, we have horses. Do you like the right horses? And I said, yeah, I love the right horses. He goes, yeah, you could do that with the state police. So I applied to join the state police. When I got to the academy, they were like, oh, by the way, we don't have those anymore. And I was like, wow. Yeah, he got you. He got you. He got me. He got, he got me. Yeah. But that's that's, me. that's 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 that privilege of being out in Queens and SUNY. That's that's see that's the B, that's that BS right there. Because <laughs> they know they, they know if they came to a school in Harlem, they couldn't ask that question. You like to ride horses? We're gonna be like, what? You mean the big things that we see cops on sometime in Central Park? Like, come on. No, this this was in college. I know, but I'm just saying. Still, <laughs> ain't no horses up, uptown. We ain't got no horses. There are horses in Manhattan. Come on. Manhattan yeah, style. like I said, not uptown though. Not uptown. <laughs> so all right, so we're there. So he got you there. And mm-hmm. clearly you did, you know, it, but it wasn't, I think the interesting thing is I love asking this question because it's usually, it's usually one of two things. It's usually something that happened to them growing up that they saw and they didn't like, and they wanted to change, you know, that sort of thing, um, different experiences, or it was just like, Hey, I just, you know, I was playing a lot one day. And I was like, Oh, I won. All right. So, so tell me about that journey though. Tell me about once you got into the Academy and, and tell me a little bit about that. So a couple of odd things. So before I entered the State Police Academy, I graduated from the New York City Police Academy. Um, And I was a Long Island Railroad police officer for totality, probably around a year. And then they called me for the state police exam. So I actually was in the New York City Police Academy when I went up to the State Police Academy uh, to process. Uh, so it was very interesting. So it was the state police was very different from the NYPD Academy. You had to live there Monday through Friday, paramilitary organization. Um, and after a few weeks, I happened to be the only black female in my class. So I spent six months being the only person like myself, uh, probably five months. The other, there was one other girl, but she was like, I don't really need all this. And she left. Um, So I spent the most part of the academy being the only black female for six months, living there Monday through Friday. What was it it like in that environment? Uh, it, It was quite interesting. So I, so that environment, you have to realize is very paramilitary. There's not much room for that. You walk a certain way, you talk a certain way, you march. Um, it's extremely regimented. Uh, but I was very aware that I was the only one like myself. Um, you know, there was nothing I could do and get away with, right? Because I'm the only one that looked like me. So, you know, they couldn't confuse me with the other recruit that looked like you. It was always, hey, we know it was you, uh, you know, pay the piper, pay the price. So, you know, it was, I will say that it was in great preparation to do the job because when I graduated at that time, there probably was only 13 black women in the whole entire division of state police. So it was definitely a good preparation for being, you know, the only one because that was, that's typically what your career for a lot of my career it has been. At some point, was there ever like, um, 
some of the other, you know, uh, some of the other guests I've had that are in law enforcement that has have mentioned that they had someone to kind of usher them through the process, you know, at some point, um, another person who kind of showed them the ropes or kind of gave them a heads up on, you know, certain things. Did you ever have that or was it all by trial and error? No. So I will say many years ago, uh, we had, you know, African-American folks in command positions. I absolutely was blessed enough to meet several, you know, people in those positions that kind of, you know, pull your coattails and tell you, come on, you know, do it this way, be better, do better. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Coming up, I definitely had some mentors. Did you feel any pressure? Obviously, you know, a lot of us, a lot of us as African-Americans, Black, you know, what have you. What, what you like to identify as a lot of us coming up, whether it's in school or in careers, quite often we find ourselves in positions where we have to outperform. We can't just do the same thing as the others. We have to outperform in, in ways that overachieve, overperform. Did you find that that was something, that pressure? Did you have any of that? Well, what's funny is I, you know, hindsight being 2020, looking back, you realize that no matter what you do, you know, there are going to always be those folks that say, well, you only got it because, right? You didn't get it because you deserved it. You only got it because of who you are or, you know, what you represent. Um, The pressure, I don't know if I felt the pressure. I always knew that what I did had to be more correct, that we were not going to be, quote unquote, taken care of. You know, I'm not going to be part of the club. I'm not going to be in that group. So, yeah, I mean, you have to work harder, be smarter about all that you do. 100 percent. Absolutely. What racial adversities did you have to deal with? I'm not sure I'm done. I'm in my 29th year here at the state police. I'm still active. Obviously, what, what you could talk about within context. Oh, yeah. So, no, I mean, I've I've spoken to the AP News and it's been released. I have had several struggles in terms of racism here with the New York State Police. Uh, one of my supervisors superimposed my face in a chitlin kitchen. Um, Front door. Hold up, hold up. You can't just say that. <laughs> you can't. Well, first of all, was the supervisor black? Because how do they know what chillings are? Well, well, this particular gentleman, he knew every racial slur known to man. He wow. knew everyone. Get into so, it. Tell me about this. Get into it. Yeah. Well, this happened, uh, honestly, it happened a little later in my career. Uh, I was already an investigator. I was working in a unit, uh, and I was, again, the only Black female in the unit. At one point, I was the only you know, African-American person. Now, it is notable to say that in this troop, which happens to be Long Island, there has never in Long Island been a Black woman as an investigator. So you start out as a trooper, you get promoted to investigator. There was, has never, ever, ever been a black woman working in Long Island. So right there, you know, there's a little bit of a, a difference. So he, ha ha ha, superimposed my, put my face in a chitlin kitchen picture and hung it up on the wall. And I will say at that point in my career, I didn't take it down. In my mind, I thought if I take this down, you know, will it get worse, right? So let me just kind of leave it up there. He also put jet black band-aids on my desk and on the band-aid, it said made in your shade. (laughs) 
I don't, I don't mean to laugh. Jet black pants. Oh, I can show them to you. I still have them. Um, Jet black band-aids. Who thinks yep. of that? And on the band-aid case, it said made in your shade. It said made in your shade. I mean, I, like I said, there's been quite... I don't know if I want to be mad at him or just the, the sheer effort that he put in to actually go like... Okay, I'm sorry. I don't, I'm, I'm making light of the situation, no, which is not a good no. thing. But it's like, you got... Well, I got one better. It culminated when we sat in a meeting in headquarters and he said to the only black uh, investigator in the room at the time, it was a senior investigator. And he said to him after he asked the question, take the cotton you've been picking out your ears to that investigator. And that kind of set it off where I was actually an HR counselor, which was an EEO counselor, and I initiated an EEO complaint against him. And no one else had, he didn't have any series of complaints prior to that? Like nothing? Like no one said nothing about this guy? Well, as I mentioned, I was the only black woman in that troop, in that position. There were no other black folks in my unit. It was all white male. Oh, right. There you go. But you don't have to be black to say, hey, that's not okay. Well, you have to understand there is also a culture of silence within police departments. Um, you know, there there is this ideology. I mean, the guys that I worked with, with the except there was one uh, Spanish, I had one Spanish guy in my unit. With the exception of him, all the other white males in that unit turned and said, "I can't believe you said something. I'm sure you've heard worse than that. Like, what's like? Come on, like, let it go." So no, there was this culture that. You shouldn't say anything. And when I did say something, you basically commit, you, you know, from that point forward, you're going to have problems. No doubt about it. And that's what- Cardinal sin. Because you broke the correct. blue wall. Because you broke the blue wall. Right. It's, uh, that's, you know, and we've talked about that on a lot of the shows as well. You know, that blue wall, man, that's, uh, that thing is incredible. We, we've definitely, uh, no. So you were aware of this though, at some point, right? You were aware of the, Code of Silence, the Blue Wall, the, the whole nine, right? You were aware of that or made away, I'm sure. I mean, you, you, I knew. And that's why I had tolerated some things that I probably should not have. That's why I let some comments go because, you know, I, I was a single parent with three kids and I was going through a divorce and I needed to raise my kids. I couldn't, I didn't want to bring a problem because, you know, now we're blaming the victim because somehow I would be wrong for, you know, speaking up. And ultimately that's exactly what happened. You know, you become stigmatized, you become marginalized and people, you know, will make you the issue. Oh, I can't believe, you know, oh, that person's, you're a complainer. You always complain, you know, so that's, you know, oh, be careful because she'll, she'll, she'll start a trouble. But you know, the trouble is that you don't tolerate racism. So if you don't tolerate racism or bias, then you become a problem. So in the words of uh, a great man, I embrace my good trouble. Right. And what Will Smith once said, you know, it's crazy how when you demand respect, all of a sudden you become difficult to work with. Oh, absolutely. Those those terms get get thrown around at that point. Oh, yeah. I was told I'd never get promoted. You know, how dare you file an EEOC? You know, you're done. You'll never get promoted again. But, you know, it's a real good thing. I don't always listen and I don't let people dictate uh, my path. So I was promoted again because I took a, I didn't do it the traditional way. I applied for a position 
that pit me against 50 other folks and I had to do a panel interview and they couldn't deny me because I was in the top two of 50 folks. So they couldn't deny me. If, if, if I did not go for that position, I would not have been promoted traditionally because they already decided that I would never get promoted where I worked based upon the fact that I complained and reported it. But now, who, where was your support system then? If you're not getting it from your uh, fellow officers, where, where did you find support? Or did you find support? Well, there were several, you know, officers that would... My my then partner was a Spanish guy and he stood with me. He actually suffered some consequences for standing with me. Uh, you know, they were not too happy with him either. So, but he definitely stood up and said, it's wrong. I'm not going to be a part of it. They wanted him to say he can't work with me to try to get me transferred. There was a whole... I mean, it was a whole lot of things that ensued from that incident. But the, the craziest part is that person is still employed by the state police and that person still is in a supervisory position. They were never removed from a supervisory position. Uh, they were punished. That's what I was told, that they were punished. Uh, they lost some, what we call it, was suspended for a while. But the best part is, to this day, they are able to have influence over folks who apply for the job they review all the applicants. So as crazy as it seems, this happened many years ago, it is still very relevant. And more recently, just within the last two years, there's been more incidents. There's always an incident. That's why I said to you, hey, I'm still on this job. But, uh, you know, during Trump, during the uh, election, I had, there was a, you know how you have a group text to relay information. In that group text, one of the, I am the, again, the only female. So, I'm the only black woman to ever be an investigator, the only black woman to only be a senior investigator. I have nine white male counterparts. I am the only black senior and I am the only black female senior. So in this group text, he posted a gif of Black Lives Matter and Tom Hanks laughing at Black Lives Matter right after I made a response. So these types of things go on, continually go on. And, you know, the problem is they're minimized. You know, they, they want to explain these things away, uh, but we just have to keep pushing on. So where are we now in this process? Oh, talk to us about this uh, organization that you've started. So I uh, there's something called the Guardians Association of New York State Troopers. We had an, kind of a rebirth. It's been around. They started it in 1993 and then it took a hiatus, so to speak. We just didn't, no one was really engaged. So more recently, I received a call from some young troopers who said to me, you know, it's really bad. Uh, we don't feel comfortable. You know, when the whole Trump situation came out, they were selling trooper for Trump t-shirts at the stations. It was really bad. And basically the line was, you know, if you don't support, you're anti-police, right? You you must be anti-police if you don't support this person. So they called me and it prompted me to, you know, they said, hey, you know, can we do something? And it set off, you know, this rebirth of the Guardians Association. So uh, we brought it back. Uh, there was an election and I won. So I've been the president of the Guardians Association since about January of 2021. 
So what's the call to action? Well, I my, my goal is to hopefully leave this job a better place than I found it. And right now, it's just not. We've gone backwards. You know, our numbers are horrific. There are less than 200 African-Americans out of a almost 5,000-man department with the New York State Police. Um, there are 30 Black females in the whole entire division of state police. So, you know, they talk about, you know, there's an exam coming up. And my goal is to help fix some of these issues so that as young people come on the job, they don't have to endure what I did. You know, I would like there to be some diversity, but also we can't have diversity without equity and inclusion. You know, that we have no one at the table. All the people who make decisions on this job don't look like us. None of them. Honestly, I believe we need to have a diversity, equity, and inclusion office, right? Right now, we don't have one. We don't have a direct diversity, equity, inclusion officer. We don't have an office. I believe that the only way for us to have an impact is if we do create this type of office and maybe civilianize it, you know, have it run by someone who is outside of the department, right? Who doesn't have to answer to the other folks who can really re- almost regulate and make sure that we have some inclusion and some equity uh, going on. So would that include the vetting process with actually getting into um, the academy? I mean, mean, because at the end of the day, do you think that it's because we're not applying or are they screening us out? Well, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. So there's a new exam out for this testing cycle. So they just started accepting applications for the exam. And here's my problem. This exam that they put out typically costs $20. However, I just found out that the New York State Police exam this year is $55. And not only is it $55, if you can't afford to take the exam, the state police will waive the fee. So they traditionally, you couldn't afford it. You put in a waiver, they waive the $20 fee. Well, come to find out, they won't waive the $35 fee because the $35 fee is from the company giving the exam. So in and of itself, What demographic do you think that's going to mostly impact? So these are the things that I think, you know, we really need to be mindful of and we need to address. Um, And those are things I want to address. You know, I, I would like to have an understanding as to how and why you would more than double the price of an exam when you say that your goal is diversity. And I want to um, address and change the fact that so that those demographics don't exist anymore as to which demographics are going to affect because definitely should have $35. So financial literacy on a whole nother level. Absolutely. But as you say, these things are designed a specific way. Right. And this is a job where you make, you know, you're going to make six figures. What do you think needs to be done other than that? Because like, you, you speak of inclusion and, and diversity, which I think definitely uh, should be the case as well, you know, but there has to be these different systems, as you said, maybe in a uh, civilian source or different things put in place where they don't have to answer, mm-hmm. you know, where they don't have to answer to or be afraid of being a so-called whistleblower or, you know, for just standing up for your own moral rights as a human being. So what does that what does that look like? That's that's the key. Well, I think the problem is education. You know, how many people know what's going on? I don't think most do, right? I don't think most people honestly take interest in it. When I give people these facts, people, even people I work with say, wait a minute, you're the only black woman to ever be an investigator? Let me think, in Long Island? 
And I say, uh, think about it because the demographic around us dictates that that should not be the case, right? Uh, And they're like, huh, yeah, you know, you must, I think you're right. Well, I know I'm right. So I think it's just a matter of people, of people, you know, knowing and, and in knowing how do we correct that, right? Like, you know, where, where do we draw these lines? It's clearly not that, you know, I've had people say, well, if you guys can't pass the test, you're just not as smart. That's clearly not the case. That's that's absolutely not the case. You know, obviously, there are a lot of reasons why, you know, a lot of people have different advantages if and part of the Guardians Association for anyone listening who might be interested in taking the exam for law enforcement, we will mentor every single person who wants to apply to the state police. We I assign a personal mentor to anyone who wants it to help get you through the system. And that is something that we have dedicated ourselves to doing. Yeah, I was going to say that 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 should be a part of it. That's a good thing right there. That should definitely be a part of it. So let's get back to what we were talking about before with your particular experience. Um, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? What made you decide, okay, this is enough is enough. I got to do something. <laughs> Well, you know, honestly, I'll tell you, uh, you can retire after 20 years. I'm starting my 29th year. At the bottom, at the end of the day, what they're going to do? You can't take my birthday. You know, you, you can't take my birthday. So I really am in a position where I can speak the truth and I don't have to worry about, you know, my pension because I'm going to get my pension, right? Uh, and it puts me in a unique position where I can speak the truth, where I can stand up for those who maybe are younger on a job and can't stand up for themselves. So that's really was the impetus to have when speaking to those younger troopers and listening to what they said, it just, it, it hurt me. It hurt me to listen to them say, who do we have? We have no one. Who do we go to? We have no one. That just, when I was a young trooper, I had people to go to. When I was a young trooper, there were people on a job who stood and it was time for somebody to stand again. And it was just time. Yeah. And that just, hey, I say it all the time. It's got to be somebody. Why not? Why not me? Right. I mean, that's why I had asked you, uh, who, who, where was your support system coming from? You know, was there anybody in the higher ups that was supporting you as well? You know, was there anybody, you know, obviously, what, what is your union for? Right. What is HR for? What is what are, what are all these things for if they're not? going to do what they say they're supposed to be there to do? It's a broken system. I will tell you that emphatically. Mm -hmm. It's a broken system. Um, The HR EEO process is so broken and people don't even want to contact them because why would I contact them if nothing happens? And then when I become the leper, you're not going to help me. So really, the system is just so broken. That's why I advocate for this diversity, equity, inclusion officer. And in all honesty, I would, you know, obviously, if I had my way, um, they would also have input in that EEOC process and in all aspects when it affects diversity. Absolutely. It's a common thread, you know, when I when I talk to uh, other officers and other law enforcement, you know, this is the the, the, the common thread. And that that's that's a uh, that says a lot to say that this is where we are and this is what's what, what needs to be done. And now we just have to get together and figure out how to do it. Actually make it happen. You know, and, and that's um, the challenge. Yeah, yeah, that's that is the challenge. Um, but but we're going to talk more off the air about what we're doing to fight that, to combat that, 
you know, because I think we have some good things in the work. And uh, your story is one of the stories that I like that that definitely needs to be heard. I'm I'm definitely intrigued and I'm definitely uh, excited to have you back if you'll come back. Absolutely. Um, because, again, your story deserves to be heard. Ladies and gentlemen, to be continued, Kimberly Bryson. Black Arm of the Law is hosted by Carl Payne. Produced by Ken Johnson, Bart Phillips, and Carl Payne. Consulting producers, FBI Special Agent Retired Don Taylor and FBI Special Agent Retired George Graves. Edited by Rick Chill. Theme music by Jeff Red, courtesy of Soul Real Records. Executive producers, Ken Johnson and Bart Phillips. Find Black Arm of the Law on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Black Arm of the Law is a mean old lion media production. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.